0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to What's New in Cloud FinOps with myself, Stephen Old, and my friend Uh, and colleague. Frank Contrepois. There he is. Perfect. Um, (laughs) We should rehearse what we're going to do before we start, Frank. We never do. Um, And we just about get through. Um, So today, as always, we're going to run through... Uh, some news in the world of cloud FinOps. We tried to be a bit more strict this month and only focus on things that are properly FinOpsy, because we were struggling last month and got a bit lax. But we've tried to be good, but it does mean there's a few less things to talk about. So hopefully you guys don't have to listen to us for as long. And then we're going to let Frank talk about a interesting topic he's been um, reviewing recently, which is forecasts and the different types of forecasts. So we'll get to hear plenty from Frank on that. Right, shall I kick us off, Frank? Absolutely.
1: All All right.
0: right. All right. Okay. So having just said that we've made sure everything's really (laughs) finopsy, this one is probably the least finopsy, Amazon EMR, Elastic Map Reduce on EKS, um, Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes, is now available in additional regions. Um, What this initially says to me is that I didn't announce it or I missed it when it went into the kind of normal um, beachheads uh, of Virginia and Ireland. Um, What I like about this and why I feel it is FinOps related is that, you know, containers are standard are more efficient in terms of utilization you know you are breaking things down into smaller chunks uh so you can now run your uh, your spark workloads which is really what the emr is under the hood, um, on on eks what i found interesting when i was reading this up is that you have you know always been able to run an ec2 but you can also for a serverless um feel run it on fargate as well which i didn't realize um, also worth noting for anyone that uh, hasn't realized that savings plans cover Fargate. So you can cover this services underlying infrastructure with, nice. far- with savings plans.
1: <clears throat> so I would guess, and I would say it's a guess, but now we would have that. So it's you you can have savings plans on Fargate. You can mm-hmm. use both instances when you mm-hmm. use normally all the um, <clears throat> EMA. So all of together so yeah there are lots of opportunity for savings for that so whoever is using emr at the moment just just look at that very closely because i think we can stack up a couple of discounts there
0: yeah i, I, I don't find many people going in and using emr fresh because it you know it's a, it's a managed hadoop spark service right and i think a lot more people are using the more um, managed services but if you have got experience with spark Uh, It is a powerful service and you can do it pretty cheap if you do it right.
1: Yep. Also, next is for me and the next one is related to Google Cloud. And it is the fact that the title, I like the title. I didn't understand a word of what the title was about or or what the article was about, but it's cool. So it's costs meet code with programmatic budget notifications. What it really means is that when you use the Capabilities of budget notification inside Google Cloud, you can now send that to a pub sub pub, sorry, PubSub uh, pipeline. So the idea is that you can all of a sudden have actions triggered from those budget alerts directly, and you can trigger whatever you want. Whatever is capable of listening onto that pipe can just be executed. And that is quite big because all of a sudden you have all those possibilities of if you of reducing the cost. For example, mm-hmm. you know you're running something big and, well, it's getting too expensive. You can just start reducing the size and make it slower uh, or deliver it slower. So it, there are lots of really good things that you can do with that. It opens lots of possibilities. And I think that was really nice from, the, from Google Cloud.
0: Yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. That it's it's about the possibilities it opens because, you know, the other providers and I think we can talk about one of them today where they have got a cost control function through budgets now, but it's a little bit dictated as to what you it does. You know, it can switch off everything in that account. With this you you can decide the action, which means you need to more programmatically manage it. You know, you need to actually put that in. But for some people, especially people using Google, who often kind of dev-friendly backgrounds, yes. um, they will love that. They'll love having that power in their hands. Yes. Super. Right. Yes,
1: I see really coordination there. Can you imagine Kubernetes? Just, uh, you, you can organize things and coordinate them yeah. so that-
0: Drop the amount of pods available for, yeah.
1: Exactly, absolutely nice.
0: If you're on Kubernetes, thank you there. I don't know if you knew you were segueing into my next one. Um, Azure Migrate now handles containerizing applications in the migration progress, uh, process and putting them on Azure Kubernetes Service, otherwise known as AKS, which is what I'll probably keep calling it in a minute. Um, that's a new feature. I... I'm pretty impressed. You know, I've looked at things that can do this in the past. I would be interested to see how it does it and how well it does it. I wouldn't be surprised if they have, without me realizing, bought one of the services that was doing this kind of stuff. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's neat. Um, you know, AKS runs .NET Core on it as well, I think now. So which does neatly go in, in containers. So I think there might be some real real cost savings available there. Um, for those who aren't aware of Azure Migrate, you could already use it to migrate virtual machines really easily, you know, just like a VM mm-hmm. to a VM. Uh, but it also did map SQL databases straight into Azure SQL, which was quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you are a MS SQL house, but now you can move containers. We can create containers in the migration process using Azure Migrate.
1: Yeah, that, that would be extremely useful if you, even just to do a. a, a it simplifies the the load and shift. Really, the mm-hmm. lift. What was the term? I don't so, remember the
0: term. Yeah, there's lift there's and, lift and shift, or in this case, you're kind of doing a shift and polish.
1: <laughs> yes. a so shift and pol- oh, I love that shift and polish. Absolutely brilliant. So all of a sudden, you can say to your whoever is uh, is asking you a CIO and a CTO, and you say, "Yes, we have moved all our applications to K- to Kubernetes and Docker and containers, and that's that's fine. That's true.
0: Yeah, absolutely
1: <laughs> <it's> on you." <laughs> Okay, next one. So it's prevent exceeding Azure budget with forecasted cost alerts. So what that implies, and we're going to it's going to touch on the topic of today, is that Azure will try to forecast your spend and create alerts based on that forecast. So they are going to try to predict how how are you well, how much is going to cost you at the end of the month, and how much is your budget for the end of the month? And if those two numbers do not match, or the cost predicted cost is not lower, it will send you an alert. So it is, and yeah, that's in theory is absolutely brilliant because it, it helps you being uh, sorry, proactive. In this case, you will get an alert early knowing that something has gone wrong. In the past, I've seen it having some issues when there were some uh, workloads, which are just spiky for one day, two days, or something like this that could, create some issues there. But overall, I think it's a progress and it shows that once again, Azure and all the cloud providers are starting to take cost and reporting on cost as something important.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not going to ask too many questions because we're going to talk about forecasting so much later. <coughs> and I don't I don't want to spoil the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, the title of my next one is Scale Your Critical Applications Cost Effectively with Azure Disk Storage. Lovely little sales line. Digging into the weeds, you can now on demand, well, you can set it up. So on demand, you can burst IOPS and throughput. So it goes up to six times higher on the uh, some of the bigger SSDs, so the 512 gig SSDs now for those of you that know azure disk storage really well (laughs) unlike me um it's worth noting that this is different to the credit based system where you used to have to accrue credit and then with the accrued credit you could burst until that ran out this is just on demand it will just do it pros to that performance absolutely and you maybe don't have to Put a as big a disk in place to be able to handle, or you know, or special network disks to handle high throughputs, which might only happen at certain times. The downside, you are losing control on some of your financial governance of what the cost of those services are going to be. I always think that's a an interesting one, but you can go up to thirty thousand IOPS and a thousand megabytes of throughput it says megabytes not megabits i am going to therefore mm-hmm. trust that's what it means uh so i do like it you know it has those cases where it could be really cost effective um but i you know unless i've missed something i think it doesn't have any guard rails that are obvious on protecting but you can optimize it for your workload there's a bunch of things you can set to potential durations uh but i think if you don't do it right it could be a little bit of a risk to your to your finops um posture
1: cool so i Next. So the next is going to be AWS S3, it's Glacier. So reduce at 40%, that's by big number, you see S3, you see Glacier, you see 40% price reduction, but it is on put and life cycle requests. So the idea is that Glacier is already extremely inexpensive. The positive thing of having such good reduction on put and lifecycle requests is that it will simplify and reduce the cost of the migration to Glacier. That is positive. But yeah, when I was reading that, I have to admit, initially, I was all there. say, wow, how can they reduce Glacier by another 40%? It's for put and lifecycle requests. So I hope it's going to impact very positively your workload and things you've put in Glacier. Let me know. I would be extremely curious to understand how much this is really uh, something that is, let's say, financially relevant in your AWS invoice. Any questions, Steve?
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) Right. And now, uh, last but not least, AWS Cost Anomaly Detection now supports AWS CloudFormation. I always find these seem like they're the wrong way around. in the way it's described because what that basically means is you can now prescribe in cloud formation to encode cost anomaly detection uh, variables in that person so you can now set and put into your standard templates or however you want to roll it some default rules for cost anomaly detection that will roll out um you know it's done by JSON or YAML, and most mm-hmm. people using CloudFormation probably still using JSON on it. And so it gives you a chance for you know enabling quick, consistent, scalable configurations across AWS accounts. Is how it describes itself. Um, I'm a big fan of anything going into IAC. Um, nice. It seems to be pretty straightforward into how you do it, and. I, I think actually, considering when this came out, that's, it's gone into confirmation pretty quickly. So I think it must be something that people are asking for. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty, pretty happy to to see it come come live. Mm-hmm.
1: Nice. And <clears throat> so, last but not least, with uh, me is that we have a new cloud uh, cost storage class for Elastic uh, Amazon Elastic File System. So mm-hmm. Elastic File System you know, is a is you could see it as a NAS really is a it's a file system that you can access via network, and the idea is you can now have limited, to reduce the cost, sorry, you can have a limited durability. So normally Amazon EFS has uh, 11 nines of durability, which means that it's very, very, very improbable that anything would change or that the data would be lost in a kind of formal way. But that cost, that has a cost that AWS is taking over by replicating all your information. Now there is this one, which is a one zone storage class. It brings it to three lines availability. But for example, for everything that is run by Lambda and has a lifespan of hours, if not minutes, then that is a perfect type of uh, storage you wanna have. So I-, I welcome this because it will effectively help create some Lambda function with some say, uh, capacity of saving data between launches so yeah positive one the price of so the the price is going to be 0.16 per gigabyte per month the very interesting part uh, in here is that they say if the stars align in very much way that you have lots of uh, infrequently accessed storage etc you can effectively reduce your cost by they highlight here 92% assume 50
0: And that's it. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, hopefully that was helpful for everyone. Now we're going to move into the interesting bit where um, we have not had to scramble to learn what we're on about (laughs) in a very short amount of time. Frank, tell me about forecasting, mate. (laughs) So forecasting is a
1: topic that I find extre- extremely interesting because you have multiple people which are asking, everyone is asking for forecast. Everyone wants to predict the future, which is, yeah, we all know, we all want to predict the future. At the same time, we all know that it is not, never going to be fully possible. And what I found, which is quite interesting, is that when our customers are asking us for forecasting, very often they ask for very different things. And so in the I, I wrote a document there. I wrote it's a blog post. If you can go strategic com slash five ways to focus your cloud spend. Uh easier if you go to strategic blue dash strategic blue.com slash blog and then you find it from there. But just going through that, uh I, I can go through the through the five methods fast if uh, you think we have some time, Steve.
0: Um, I think yeah, we've got a bit, bit of time. I mean, we've we blasted the first bit pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, it's fine. So then, I, I promise, guys, I will not bother you with long and reading you just was on the, um, on the on the article. But there are five, roughly five ways for people, which are valid ways to forecast your cloud spend. Okay, so the the first one, which is really when you do not need forecast, but it is when you know you're going to use the same, nothing's changing, nothing has changed. It's the easiest one, just pick up last bill or last three bill or last six bill and just extend that and say, that's what we're gonna need for next year. The the good thing is there is almost zero effort. It's immediately available. And if you know your infrastructure well and you know that things are not planned to change next year, it it is quite precise. (laughs) So that's obviously, that's the simple one. Another one I've seen, I have seen it used, I do not recommend it, but I've seen it used and that's, uh, I'm terrified to say it's probably the one that is used the most, is take the last period and just add or remove a certain percent, which is usually reasonably random. It would be, the the most common to use is 20% or we plan to increase the business like 20%. So we estimate flat growth by 20%. So that's the good, oh, it's very fast, very easy. It's, Kind of backed by the business data because it's probably coming from an estimation that hey at the executive level they said they were going to grow by twenty percent so
0: let's use that number. Yeah, but it's quick and dirty, right? But, it, ah, but in some cases it. it works.
1: Some cases it work. Yeah. The other one is using cost Explorer. You can use cloud tools. Really, you can use the cloud tools. So they are very nice. They are uh, and they show you very nice graphs. Usually they are highly inaccurate. Because the only information they have is what you've done in the past year or the past period of time. They don't have a clue on what's going to happen next. Well, you do. But I have to admit that they look very cool. They look very nice. And they are backed by officially, you can say, the cloud vendor. So Amazon is telling me that this is going to be my spend for the next 12 months, which Protects you in some kind of formal way. The other one, which is number four, which is end of month forecast, is quite a. It's a, it's an easy one. It's you just focus on the end of month. You just focus on your forecast, and it is uh, you forecast how much is going to be my bill at the end of the month. And this is an extremely interesting one I find because it is it is useful for technical people. That for example, it's like a speedometer on a car. If you Change something today, you can see tomorrow in this kind of forecast how much that has impacted your end of month bill. Let's say that I'm spend, I've planned to spend twelve thousand. Now I do a cost reduction initiative one day, and the next day I have a ten thousand on that forecast. I know I saved the company two thousand. I have a success. I can even start measuring ROI, return on investment, and other numbers. So that's something I. I Recommend you to do that is something that I've included into our uh, dashboard. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so in our dashboard uh, for strategic blue customers, we, we do have this kind of forecast because it is useful and nice.
0: Yeah, she's how she see trends, doesn't it? Yeah, nice kind of
1: yes, and also take action when you see a spike, mm-hmm. you can just immediately react. It's really a speedometer. You look at oh, am I at the as if something changed drastically, it's going to be available in the next 24 hours. You're going to immediately see it. You're going to be able okay. to act upon it or investigate up or down, by the way. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And last, the last one is use what I call business data. So that's the tough one. That's the mm-hmm. best one. At the same time, it's very hard, is companies and Usually, uh, the let's say the C-level guys will make projection and planning for the year. And they usually do those planning based on one metric, which is either usually the number of customers or the number of transactions we're going to do, or a mix of both. And the idea is that if you do kind of hard work, but you identify how much a customer is costing you... Yeah. Then you get a number that you can effectively say, We're going to do an initiative that's going to reduce the cost per customer by that. Or you're going to receive information from the C level that's going to tell you, We plan to increase the number of customers from 1,000 to 3,000 next year. You can immediately get the cost. And it is accurate. And more importantly, mm-hmm. it is aligned with the company's objective. So that's number five. That's the best one. But let, let's be very honest. It's not easy to get. It's Very usually, few people have it,
0: right? It, it, very few
1: people have it. It's rare and it takes some time to get it through. But I personally think it is very much worth it. Yeah. But yeah, not easy.
0: By the, by the time people realize it's what they need, it's often at a stage where it's hard to get. If you did it <laughs> from the beginning... Yep. It can be quite, it, you know, it's, it's very much, it's very powerful. And if you think about how you use forecasts, so beyond the kind of forecasting you can do, and thanks so much for that, Frank, if you start thinking about how you can use forecasts in driving your business in a better way, if you are using cost per user kind of data or, you know, whatever you might be to cost per customer, not only can you look at how to drive you know how the what the impact at a very high forecast level of driving more customers is, and what that cost would be so you can put out your business models, but also it gives yourself a really understood manageable number and target to either stay below or to keep driving lower. you know if you are improving sustainability scalability of your business, you know big words that we 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 see in in kind of the scaling side of business. You have got to be able to, as I always call it, Frank, and I know you find it funny. You know, put people through the sausage machine and get a sausage out the other end that <laughs> looks the same, right? <laughs> and if you can, over time, without reducing the quality of what comes out at the end, be finding a way of doing it cheaper and cheaper. Because arguably, with scale, you should be able to do that. You know, your business is driving in the right direction, and you know you're doing the right things, and the efficiencies are working. If what you start noticing is more customers are costing us more, something is wrong. And it's a great indicator for that as well um, because it basically means people are covering your growth, and you've been using them as a plaster. Don't be wrong; people are brilliant, um but they are not a long-term plaster because you, if you're scaling well, you can't onboard and train people to a high enough level that they will be able to do what your people are already doing, and so you end up seeing the the two numbers go in the wrong direction.
1: Absolutely. So that, by far, is the best one. And yes, I didn't stop after each one to ask you if you wanted if you had some comments, Steve. Sorry. <laughs>
0: Um, no I, I jumped in when when I, when I when i thought it was worthwhile i think um i i do like how how we've done our, our forecasting you know we, we we did it for a reason right um i absolutely you know having built out business plans and and things like that i've absolutely done the quick and dirty well i think i'll grow by 20 percent. that's what we're saying you know that that's what i've put in my in in this and then you you start applying that, saying, you know, I'm going to grow by 20%, therefore my costs are going to grow by 20% because they should be linear. I mean, we know it's probably not right, but it makes sense to use that when you're throwing something together, right?
1: Right. Um, Yeah, and it's also mostly, it depends also on the culture of the company. You know, there are companies when you always need to send by, you need to add more things, so they're going to remove it. You always know. So which one you can use is also going to be extremely dependent on what is it that you are presenting back? Yeah. Are you trying to get the biggest budget possible? Is it a fight for budget, or is it an accurate game where you want to to work on operational excellence? That's yeah. completely different. And yeah, that's. I found it extremely interesting on how people call the same name completely different things, and they all uh, they all think that it, it is the right way.
0: Yeah, it is interesting as you go into it more. Uh, or I don't know if it's it's something because of of FinOps taking off some of like that. I think more people are beginning to accept that they are not forecasting, not governing well. Um, but maybe it's just that they are realizing that the things they were doing previously don't work as well for cloud. Maybe that's it. It's so much harder for it just to follow a linear line. You knew how many pieces of tin you were buying. You know. Yes. You knew what how many network switches you need to put in that much kit. It it's a different world now, and, and I think we. I think our colleague John described it really well. You know, you're moving from capacity planning management to cost planning management, yes. and and because that is now your 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 stopping factor. That is that is your your controlling factor. It isn't okay. the amount of compute because unless you are our friends from uh, <laughs> from the IceCube project who are using all the GPU in all of the clouds, um, you know, people have capacity available your teams can go and spin as much up as they like. And, uh, you know, therefore you can't just forecast, well, you know, we will add machines here, here, and here, and, and we will know when that happens. That's Absolutely. not the game anymore.
1: No, and I, I think it's... Uh, this morning I had a, <clears throat> I had a chat, and, and one of the things that came out is effectively, in the past, you had three actors, you could buy your team, you, you could buy your hardware, and so finance and procurement could buy the hardware. On their own, almost. There were some basic, and then tech will have to get the best out of it. And the, the even the incomprehension between the two, between procurement and tech, were, were supported or filled by the vendor, the person that was vending the hardware. Was maybe have the financial thing, like all the big companies will have a financial entity that will help transition that buying more enough stuff for the tech and make it pay over three years and blah 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 blah. Now in cloud that does not exist and I have to admit that the cloud vendors are not very ahead they are not providing that feeling that they have they've widened the gap hmm. between procurement and tech, but there is nothing filling it in except strategic blue, I would say, but it's there is nothing there. And uh, uh, and that might be an interesting um, area, if you want to for for yeah. the cloud vendors to look at. And I'm done.
0: Super. Well, I think I think we've had it. We've we've covered the subject yeah. neatly there, and and I uh, I do think it's interesting. So I remember when reading your your document, um, mm-hmm. I did. I, I remember commenting on a few bits, and and we. In in the same way you say that different people have different views about which one's the right way. We did to an extent. We both know which one was our favorite, but I think we yes. had you know different second favourites, etc. Um, because sometimes I, I <laughs> I'm fine with quick and dirty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is but, fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it works. There's a lot about so, so a lot about the uh, how much people trust my maths when they <laughs> accept oh, it's a Steve forecast. Um <laughs> there we go. Right. Not well, true. Thank you. thank you very much frank um i a, a big shout out as a thanks to uh frank as next week i'm on holiday and he's picking up loads of stuff for me um <laughs> so thank you for that frank as a as a uh Favor to that, I'm going to edit and publish the podcast tonight, so that people will know your hero- her- heroism next week, and maybe <laughs> reach out on LinkedIn I, and, and say I'm thank you. I'm just
1: going to tell customer, wait for Steve. Don't
0: worry, <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, and they'll, they'll say no. Um, <laughs> right, thank you, Frank. Yeah, um, well, yeah, been a pleasure as always. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.